This episode of Building Breweries is brought to you by Slot Drain. Meeting requirements for drain systems can be difficult. In older facilities, trench drains and four slope floors were the standards in drainage. Today, Slot Drain is changing surface drainage by providing the first pre-sloped, prefabricated drain system. Slot Drain is designed to handle harsh temperatures and chemicals without corroding and can help manage your humidity levels while still reducing bacteria and saving you both cleaning time and effort. Whether you're installing slot drain in your brew house, fermentation room, bottling area, warehouse, or tasting room, you'll find that slot drain is sanitary and easy to clean. It's corrosion-resistant and controls odor. It handles extreme temperatures and is easy to both install and maintain. If you want to learn more about slot drain, visit their website at www.slotdrainsystems.com. Slot drain also invites you to stop by their booth number 4009 at the 2017 Craft Brewers Conference and Expo in Washington, D.C. this April to find out why your brewery may be spilling money down the drain. Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited today to bring you a couple of breweries from Dallas, Texas, uh, one on one of my most recent visits there and, and another via phone. Uh, but first, I would like to invite any new listeners to uh, subscribe to the podcast and track you down on social media, Building Breweries on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and you know you can even share the episode too if you'd like. If you have any questions or you know you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter at MolarMD. Um, so today I'm talking to the folks over at Oak Highlands Brewery in Dallas, Texas. I, I did visit their place and I met up with Darren Williams and, and Brad Mall and talked a little bit, bit about their, their family slash community uh, friendly brewery and discuss a little bit about the Dallas beer history uh, in general. And then, you know, later by phone, I'm, I'm speaking with Michael Petticolas of Petticolas Brewing Company, and we talk a lot about marketing and logos, as well as their, their brand new tap room that they just opened up at the beginning of the year. Um, another interesting uh, comment that he, that he made is that, well, you know, Michael, he brings up his concerns with the social media app Untapped, and uh, how it has all sorts of liability issues that I hadn't previously considered. So like I said, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Let's get to the episode. I'm here with Darren and Brad at the Oak Highlands Brewery in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Darren was a uh, ex-geologist, is that correct, or current geologist? Still current geologist. All right, and then Brad's a uh, ex-lawyer, is that right? Yeah, I quit practicing in April of uh, 2015. All right, well, before before we actually get talking about Oak Highlands, um, let's talk about Dallas in general for a little bit, because I, I don't really know much about it, at least as it relates to the, uh, the beer scene. Um, what can you tell me about it? Just kind of a general background about it. Well, probably about five years ago, um, there were only four, probably four breweries in the whole Dallas Ford Metroplex. Um, about that time, that is when the, you know, the craft brew scene started exploding around here. Uh, currently we're at, we're approaching 40, uh, in the whole Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, so it's been a, um, just like the rest of the whole country, it's kind of been one of those things that's, it's grown exponentially. I was reading up on that a little bit and 
from what I could, from what I gathered, it seemed like um, a change in zone, zoning laws kind of allowed that to happen, at least within city limits. It was really a combination of uh, uh, several things. There was uh, some change in state law that allowed breweries to actually have tap rooms, which made the business a little bit more viable than, than before. Also a change in some zoning laws as well. However, in Dallas, the zoning laws really haven't been that big of a motivating factor. It's been more the change in the ability to have a tap room and sell beer on premises that have allowed that, and some of the changes to the brew pub laws as well. And something else, just kind of a fun thing that I learned while I was doing some research on the on the history of Dallas beer. Uh, apparently, there was a, a beer garden here in the late 1800s, uh, Mayor's Garden. They opened in 1881, and it was a beer garden. You know, just Typical 1800s beer garden, but they also had exotic zoo animals going around as well. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people didn't really like that too much. It was like that on Elm Street, I guess, downtown. Um, all right, so let's just get back, uh, back a little bit about you guys, though. Um, how'd you all get together? How'd you all form Oak Highlands? Well, Brad started brewing back in college uh, approximately 22 years ago. Um, I started about 12 years ago with the Mr. Beer Kit. Uh, I know most people... Um, that start off brewing start relatively small. Um, we, uh, you know, each made our independent recipes. Didn't know each other that w- we didn't know each other till about oh, about 11 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. Um, we were at a party and we're just talking about how each of us were fixing to brew a beer and um, realized then that that we'd both, you know, independently were home brewers. Um, this was approximately nine, ten years ago, and decided at that point in time that we ought to get together and start start brewing some beers. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, we started brewing together and started making recipes and devising, you know, new recipes and, um, you know, perfecting those. And, um, you know, approximately seven years ago, we started to enter some of the contests around Dallas Fourth Metroplex and our beers started winning awards. And, um, and so, um, you know, it was one of those deals where we were as at that point in time, about five, like I said, about five years ago, um, a lot of the people that we were uh, entering contests with were actually starting breweries in the Dallas Fourth Metroplex, and so, you know, that's where we started thinking that you know maybe that we could do this as well. Maybe not to skip ahead too much, but um, I'm actually right now drinking your Chump Change, which won a silver medal. What, when did you win this at the, at the World Beer Cup? Yeah, World Beer Cup last year. Uh, World Beer Cup happens every two years, um, and it, it coincides with the Craft Brewers Guild. Uh, I'm sorry, Craft Brewers Conference, uh, but it, the competition only happens every two years. So we won a silver medal in the Belgian other category um, this past year, 2015, with Chump Change. But the, as Darren was saying, the funny thing about that beer is it was a homebrew. It was a beer that we made in a homebrew competition mm-hmm. for an, uh, that coalesced with another brewery here in town. They put on a homebrew competition, and uh, we entered this beer in that competition. Didn't. Took top five, but it wasn't the winner. Um, but it was. It led us to believe that there was something that we could do um, if we wanted to have our own brewery, for sure, in terms of competing with some of the other beers that were out there in the marketplace at the time. And the Chump Change is a uh, Imperial Black Saison? Imperial Black Saison. What uh, what beers do you focus on here? Do you kind of just go all over whatever's you're, you're, whatever you just kind of are feeling like, or do you have something specific, a specific theme that you like to kind of stick with? We're German and Belgian heavy in terms of what we make, for, in terms of our commercially available beers, but we, we have a robust pilot system that, that is sky's the limit. We make a lot of English ales as well. Um, 
but as, as far as our commercially available beers, they're pretty German and Belgian heavy. Do you distribute? We self-distribute, but we're only in the Dallas-Fort Worth marketplace right now. Okay. Are, are those cans, bottles? Yeah, so we have five beers available year-round in cans and another two available seasonally in cans. And the, and the rest, everything else is draft only. All right. Let's talk about a little bit about the uh, the facility a little bit here. It's a pretty big space, a lot bigger than I kind of imagined. No offense. It was just didn't know what to expect. So I usually think about small at first, and then I get, I get surprised after then. Um, what kind of system are you working with? Uh, we have a, th- a three-vessel, 30-barrel uh, brew house. Um, we have five 30-barrel fermenters, two 60-barrel fermenters, and uh, two uh, 30-barrel brights and one 60-barrel bright. And this is your... F- this is the first location of Oak Islands? This is the first location of Oak Islands. So, so you built it big? We did. We, um, the, the entire space is a little over 16,000 square feet. Our tap room is a little over 3,000 square feet. Um, but uh, the back area is also open with uh, you know, yard games and, and games for people to play. But to answer your question a little bit further, um, we spent, before we opened this brewery, we spent four years going around, talking to existing breweries, trying to figure out what they did right, what they did wrong, what we could do better if, if we had the money and the opportunity to do it. One of the, the number one thing we heard from every brewery we talked with was do not start small. You may not use your capacity in your first two, couple, two or three years, but it's a whole lot better to start big and grow into it than to start small and have to replace everything and, and move on. Space yeah, space-wise as well. Um, you know, they, they were pretty much every brewery said that, you know, expect growth and expect that you're going to need to, you know, expand your brew house. And so you need to have enough space to be able to grow. So you said you spent about four years prior to opening talking to different breweries and brewers and, I guess, individuals in the beverage industry. Can you name a few of those people? Who were, who were your influencers? Sure. We, As Darren said earlier, we started homebrewing, you know, uh, 10 years ago against all the breweries that are um, in Dallas now, the, you know, Deep Ellum with John Reardon and, and Lakewood with Wim Benz and Four Corners with uh, uh, Steve Porcari. few, you know, the local Dallas breweries that have been around for four or five years, when they said they were going to make the jump from home brewers to commercial brewers, we said, well, we want to do that too, but we're going to hang back a bit and make sure we understand the, the marketplace before we jump in. So, uh, I would say that every brewery in Dallas that was open before us had an influence on us, as well as a lot of the Austin breweries and, and, and the Houston breweries as well. All right. Now, is there a, um, is there a specific reason why you chose uh, this Oak Highlands location? Was it just a kind of a, a dollar's decision, or did you like the space? Well, the name Oak Islands comes from the uh, neighborhood that Brad and I both live in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about five miles away. It's in the Lake Highlands neighborhood of Dallas. Uh, so we were actually in Lake Highlands portion of Dallas. Um, so that's why we chose, um, we wanted to be as close to, to our home and you know, our investors, half of our investors live in this neighborhood as mm-hmm. well. And so, um, all family people, uh, you know, everyone's like us around 40 years old and has kids and, and, uh, you know, wanted something to do. This area is the Lake Highlands area of Dallas is fairly starved for, you know, entertainment and things to do, especially, you know, when it comes to having kids. I, I want to get to that a little bit. Um, the, I, the one thing I ran across a lot while, while I was doing some research on this was that your brewery makes a point to be very family-friendly oriented, going as to, so far as to having family nights. You have, uh, I saw some um, some blackboards with uh, chalk that they can draw on in, in the back by the 
by the uh, by the system itself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, the area that we live in has two junior highs, a high school, and seven elementary schools. The demographic for the the immediate area that we are is is family orientated. So if if we didn't cater to the folks that are just like Darren and myself, we both have young families. I mean, Darren has two kids. I have three. Um, if we didn't cater to them, we wouldn't have a clientele. But in, frankly, those are the same clientele that got us to be a commercial brewery. They mm -hmm. were the same folks that were coming out to support us at the homebrew competitions and in the you know and coming out to see us when we were displaying our beer. So um, the one thing we wanted to make sure that we absolutely captured was this is a fun space. It's a safe space for you to bring your kids and we can all have fun and have a few drinks and then not have to worry about, well, I, I need to get a babysitter in order to come to the brewery. Well, no, you can bring your kids. We have things for kids to do. Um, it, let's just you know, be responsible and, and we'll all have a good time. Yeah, Ar arcade games, ping pong tables. Um, it's all a lot back there. Uh, I, I really admire that because I, I believe that that's um, needed to break some chains as far... I don't know about Texas. Are there any dry counties in Texas? Lots. Lots of, lots of dry counties still. We, we have a couple in Kentucky still, a few. And I think that once people kind of get rid of that stigma of breweries being bad, you can't, that like kids can, can't go there without getting into trouble. Once you break that stigma, that helps the beverage industry as a whole and communities as a whole as well. Correct. Um, I just, I don't understand dry counties, honestly. No, we had a baby shower here uh, yesterday. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there were probably... 60 kids running around having a blast you know it, it, there's no different there's no difference when coming to the brewery than i don't want to say a playground but we're not you know we're not discouraging people from bringing their kids simply because we serve alcohol mm -hmm. yeah we've I've, we also had a one-year-old birthday party here a couple <laughs> months back and i have witnessed kids asking their parents if they can have their their birthday here i i, I love the idea of having like a bunch of eight-year-olds have a birthday party at a brewery honestly <laughs> Uh, how, how do you how do you provide for them though? Do you do you have food available? Food trucks come in, soda, anything like that? So we definitely uh, we definitely make sure when when there's kids available that we have food trucks outside. I mean, so we, when we do our family night, for for instance, we have two two food trucks and, and possibly a third that has just serves dessert. Um, we do craft sodas right now on tap. We have a grape soda and we have butter beer, which is a butterscotch soda. Hmm. Um, we, we definitely make sure that the kids have something to talk about. Yeah, we have, we have face painters too and balloon tires as well. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely brings the kids in. I uh, I had my birthday parties at like Gaddy, McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's and Gaddy <laughs> Gaddyland and like oh, Gaddyland. yeah, right, things things like that. But I never man, if I had it at a brewery, that, things might be a little bit different for me today. I, I like that a lot. Um, so again, I don't really know anything about Texas. I, I'm saying that over and over again. But as far as things look on, on the regulatory side, do you believe that the, that the state is, is current, ahead, or behind other states in the country? We're, as far as regulations goes, we're, we're way behind as a state. Um, Texas follows a three-tier system. So you have your manufacturer, your distributor, and your retailer in the three-tier system. Um, Unfortunately, there's some there's some pretty onerous laws um, that that hurt 
the craft beer industry. Um, we're, we're, we're working to change those. Uh, four years ago, um, craft beer was given the right to have it. Well, craft breweries were given the right to have a tap room. Mm-hmm. Before that, we didn't have that. We couldn't sell actually alcohol to the public, uh, to the, to the ultimate consumer because that violated the three tier system. Um, in exchange for giving us the right to sell beer on tap at the brewery, um, they took away our ability to sell our distribution rights. Hmm. So, uh, as it currently stands right now, uh, if you have, uh, if you're a craft brewery and you're not, and you're a self-distributed brewery, if you want to pick up uh, a distributor, you have to give them your rights. You can't sell them to to the distributor. Hmm. Um, what's What's crazy about that is if the distributor decides that they don't want to represent your brand anymore, they can turn around and sell that distribution rights to another distributor. And you don't have so any say over that. They have no say over it. Um, we also don't have the right to sell our beer, or excuse me, to store our beer outside of the county that it's made. So huh. for us in Dallas, trying to distribute to Houston, which is four hours away, is almost impossible on a self-distribution level, simply because the Texas law requires that our beer is distributed the same day it leaves our facility. So getting to Houston four hours away, getting all the clients served in the same day is almost impossible. So we're working on that. We're in, currently we're in the Texas legislative session this year, so we're working on a few bills. Hopefully that'll change. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 while this is a great industry to be in, there there is an uphill battle on some things. I've heard certain distribution companies back home that to get around a similar law like that, you know, you can't really store it in, unless it's not necessarily made in the same county, but. Um, Along those same lines, though, if you had a semi-truck full of goods um, going down from, let's say, Indianapolis to southern Indiana near Louisville, um, technically couldn't have those semis, the, the product on those semis, come outside and stay overnight. Right. So they had a refrigeration cooler within those semis, and then that way they were still always in transport. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, again, this, the Texas law is for, for self-distributed breweries, the beer must be... Deliver to the ultimate retailer the same day it leaves your facility. So if we have to drive four hours to get it there, we can't really hit many stops. So sure. it's, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and to, to show another crazy wrinkle in this story, Texas divides beer into beer and ale. Hmm. Beer is less than 4% alcohol by weight. Ale is more than 4% alcohol by weight, so it's about roughly 5% by volume. Hmm. You can store beer out of county, but you can't store ale out of county. Who knows why that's the case? <laughs> Don't know. But we have, a li- we have a license to make ale, not beer, so we, all of our beers have to be more than 5% by weight, or 4% by weight, excuse me. So um, it, I, didn't, I didn't really mean to get into this today, but as far as you know, legislative, legislative uh, sessions coming up, what kind of, you know, coalition guild is there in, in this area or in Texas as a whole that fights for, you know, the, the, the small breweries? Sure. We have the Texas Craft Brewers Guild and, and it's a very robust uh, guild. We, we have a legislative committee that is lobbying like uh, nobody's business right now to get, to get our agenda uh, pushed forward. But at, you know, the, the way a little bit of Texas history, Texas legislature meets Texas, Texas legislature meets only every two years. Oh. So we'll have this session and then we'll go a year dormant. We'll have another session. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that short legislative session, um, 
you know, they're trying to pack a lot of stuff into it. So we, while we will push for the beer, the, the beer laws that we want, there's no guarantee that any actual bills will be put before this legislature or that will be actually voted on. Well, if, if Oak Highlands was, you know, if, if you both were the, the czar of the beverage industry in Texas, what would be the first thing that you would change? Maybe, maybe for the, for the good of, of the brewery or for the good of, you know, the beer scene in general, but what would you change first? I mean, I, I think I would, I would probably go with the offsite storage. Um, I think that's probably the best one. But you know, there's, you know, Brad is actually serving on the legislative committee for the guild, and um, and um, you know, one thing, since there are so many different levels of of, uh, like, so we're a self-distributed brewery, and we're a production brewery. There's also distributed breweries that are production breweries. And then there's home, then there's um, uh, microbreweries, mm-hmm. so brew pub license. It's different license, and each one kind of has their own ideas and agendas of what they want to push. So, you know, from our standpoint, I would say the offsite storage in other counties. And what that does is it helps the self-distributed breweries be able to get to areas that they otherwise couldn't get to. Um, so, like I said, if if we had the ability to store our beer in another county. Um, prior to delivering it to the ultimate retailer, um, we wouldn't have to get it there the same day like we do now. Mm-hmm. So we could, Houston and San Antonio's would be markets that we, we would be able to approach. Um, right now, the only way feasible to do it is through a distributor, um, which we just, at this point, don't want to do. But from my perspective, other than off-site storage, the next biggest thing on the agenda for us is the ability to sell beer to go out of the tap room. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we the only thing that we can do as a brewery, production brewery, is sell a glass of beer to be consumed on-premises. Um, one of the big push uh, agendas for um, the Craft Brewers Guild in this legislative session is to get some sort of off-premise uh, consumption bill passed, whether it's the ability to sell growlers. I was going to say, yeah, I just noticed that there aren't something. any growlers. No, we okay. can't. Uh, currently, right now, if you're a production brewery, you can't sell growlers and you can't sell packaged beer to go. If you're a brew pub, you can, but under limited circumstances. So it's really kind of convoluted and it's really kind of a mess. Uh, but the idea for, for, for us in the Craft Brewers Guild is pushing off premises sales um, this legislative session. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's January right now. A lot of people make resolutions and things to, to better about themselves and whatnot. Uh, what, what resolution does Oak Highlands have for 2017? What, what's, on the, what's on the business plan? <laughs> All right. I just got pointed out to take this. Uh, no, our, our, our resolutions are to, to – ex- so we're 18 months old. Uh, we started in July of uh, 2015. We've had one expansion as far as uh, production capacity so far, um, and we still are not outside Dallas-Fort Worth in terms of our distribution. Our resolution is to continue to grow and, and grow in a space uh, and, and in a manner that makes sense for us, which is organic growth. We're not growing for the sake of just growing, but we really need to touch some different markets. We, we're trying to get to Austin, which is – two and a half, three hours away, excuse me, in mm-hmm. Waco, which is an hour and a half away, trying to get to some market, and maybe Tyler, which is an hour, uh, hour and a half east, trying to get to some different markets that we, that are, I don't want to say they're untouched, uh, but, but I think they're, for Dallas beers in general, they're underserved. Underserved. You have anything, Darren? That's, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. 
I was uh, I was told to ask about a, your your charity ale. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, our charity is a it's a German alt beer, um, but the idea of it was, and the reason it's named charity is we have a uh, quarterly rotating charity um, that we actually donate ten percent of the sales of that beer to. Um, it's voted on um, in the tap room um, when people come in. Uh, they can actually vote for which charity. We, we choose five different charities, and they can choose between those five for the next quarter. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's been a, a way that we can actually uh, we can give back, you know, to the community for for different you know local charities. An altruistic ale. Altruistic ale. You got <laughs> it. So it's an alt ale. So yeah, there you got it. <laughs> All right, I got you. All right, guys. Lastly, I do appreciate your time, and it's it's a Sunday night currently, so I. I, I Love that you had me come in tonight and your clothes. It's it's been perfect as far as uh, my my own convenience goes. Um, you know what? When can people come visit Oak Islands? What what are your hours? What what's the deal? Yeah. So Thursdays and Fridays from four to eight p.m. and on Saturdays from noon to six p.m. That's our tap room hours. But um, you know, of course, we're all around town. You can find our beers. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. All right, I'm happy to be joined now via phone, Michael Petticolis of Petticolis Brewing Company in Dallas, Texas, where I actually just was uh, recently, and I'm really sorry I missed you, but, you know, th things happen, I suppose. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing much better now. I think when you visited, I was, that might have been when I was amidst the flu. I can't remember, but I know I had a few things that I ended up not being able to, uh, make right as we were opening our tap room and i think you had mentioned the tap room or uh maybe i'm getting mixed up with another one but i'm definitely doing better than i was then so i'm a-okay now and back up on top of the world oh, okay I, I thought it may have been, had something to do with the cowboys losing but maybe that was oh well there was that as well that now it's coming back to me that was originally <laughs> when i said well i can't meet we're gonna be in the nfc championship game only to uh <laughs> you know be let down we were having that kind of season and i thought it was a magical season i didn't think there was any way we were not gonna make it to the super bowl everything was just going so perfectly to that darn dallas green bay game Ah, uh, it happens. So, um, so like I said, Petticoles Brewing Company, um, you are the, the founder. But before we get to you, before we get to your brewery, uh, let, let's talk about your mom for a little bit. Because from what I can gather, she may have been the one that kind of maybe inspired you to get into all of this. Am I, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, she was always quite the chef. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I don't know if it inspires the right word or exposed was the the right word. That was really my first exposure uh, to homebrew. I came home from college, uh, and this was, you know, in the '90s, right? I'm I'm older than all you guys, uh, <laughs> and you know, she pops open this big brown bomber um, and pours this beer into a glass. I'm like, well, what is this? And she says, well, drink it. So we're out on the back porch. In El Paso, overlooking, you know, literally the mountains in Mexico and New Mexico, just a beautiful scene, warm, warm weather. And she tells me how she, you know, started, how she brewed this beer. And I was, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, wait, what? You, you brewed this? And I mean, I didn't, I, I really had zero exposure to home brewing before that time. And, you know, it, it was just such an awesome feeling sharing a beer that my mom had made that, you know, tasted so much better than anything that I was buying 
down at the grocery store or whatever, um, you know, and the setting was part of it too, right? I mean, just a beautiful weather, backyard, sunset, southwestern sky, Mexico, New Mexico, tremendous beer, and that's kind of, that's what beer is about, right? It's not just uh, the beer itself, but it's the overall experience mm-hmm. you're having it with, what you're doing, and so yeah, that was a real um, uh, seminal moment, I guess, and uh, you know, yeah, my early, earlier, early forming years that I didn't even really realize at the time would have such an impact on me. But you know, it was well, you're you're right. Maybe you didn't realize it quite uh, quite yet away because uh, you ended up going to law school and, and you practiced law for a number of years. Um, but then I guess you got a you got a bug to open up a brewery. So what what made that switch exactly happen? What was the light bulb moment there? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you hit, you're right. I mean, I, you know, people tell you practice law. I think, well, you know, I still practice law. I'm still a lawyer. In sure, fact, I, sure. I was just doing some CLE earlier this morning, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I practiced law for a decade. And in 2010, I kind of came across the list that I had put together, um, of the goals that I wanted to accomplish in the legal industry. And as I was kind of going through that list, I realized that I had done everything that I really set out to do. Hmm. And, I needed a new challenge. I needed something else, and I thought, well, I can't just go through life and just, you know, practice law and just kind of go through the motions. I want to, I want to challenge. I want to do something new. Um, and I really have two passions in life: one is beer, and one is soccer. <laughs> and so I started looking at, you know, uh, profession and in, in soccer actually, and. You know, the, no one was going to sign me as a player, <laughs> and the only thing I could find was like a low-level sales position. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. And so, you know, um, at the time, I was thinking about investing in a brewery, um, and my wife and I were seriously kind of talking about, hey, what do we like about this business plan we've received? What do we not like about it? Uh, what would we change? What would we do differently? And one night when she, we were talking about it, she literally turned to me and said, you know, why don't we do this ourselves? And that, that's when the real light bulb went on over mm-hmm. my head in 2010. And I thought, yeah, why don't we do this ourselves? At the time, Dallas was the largest metropolitan area in the United States without a brewery. So I thought, well, you know, she had come from the pharmaceutical market where for pharmaceutical industry where first to market is everything. So um, we thought, yeah, you know, let's, let's go ahead and do this. Let's uh, pursue something that I love to do and has – either no market for it or no mm-hmm. one has capitalized on that market and fortunately for us it was the latter yeah and and, and you you clearly um you found some success over the next few years and we'll get to t- some of those success the successes later on but um clearly you were recognized among your peers you were soon i think i guess in 2013 elected uh to serve on the board of directors of the uh, the texas uh, brewers guild is that right yes that's that's exactly right was that 2013 yeah that sounds about right yeah. Um, so, like, like I said, I mean, and then you got kind of involved with the the regulatory and the or the uh, the litigation side as well with that. Yeah, I've been pretty active. I guess because of my background, I mean, mm-hmm. literally, even to open the brewery in Dallas, I had to change the law in the city before you could even brew beer. So, I mean, where my brewery sits today, it wasn't even legal to brew there um, months before. Uh, I had to go through the entire process with the city. You know, I went through the city uh, staff, the city planning commission, the city council, and got the Dallas property code changed to allow for uh, me to actually manufacture um, beer. So I was involved there heavily. And then in 2013, there were some legislative changes that were made. And one of the changes was 
an anti-craft beer bill that passed, and I was that the was that, that the sales point, restriction bill? Or that yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, prior to that law passing, a willing brewer and a willing distributor could reach an agreement to you know. Uh, the brewer could sell its territorial distribution rights to a distributor, and the, that law literally made it illegal to sell those rights. I mean, you had to give your rights away to a distributor, and the distributor could actually sell them to another distributor the next day for you know valuable consideration. You know, one dollar, hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, and you have no, and you have no say in that. And yeah, exactly. I, I had zero say, and you know that's not even. And then take it a little bit further, if I want to try to break that agreement with that distributor and get out of the distribution agreement, which is virtually impossible, but if you are successful in doing it, one of the measures of damages is paying back the value of your brand. So literally, I was looking at a situation where I had to give away my rights for free to a distributor. That distributor could then sell them to another distributor without my with me having no say-so on whether or not that transaction occurred. And if I tried to break that agreement and was successful, I then had to pay back the distributor the value of my brand, the one I had to give away. Um, and I guess because of my legal background, I, I took big offense to it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I built a career protecting people's rights, and here I was literally having my rights taken from me. Not just my rights, but I, I'm structured a little different than most brewers as well. I own 100% of my brewery. Mm-hmm. I own all of it. I don't know a penny to a bank. I don't know a penny to an investor. It's all me. So the way I look at it is, you know, me and my family. This is mine and my wife and my three kids. And they're not only taking my rights, they're taking their rights. And so I got heavily involved at that time. Um, that's it got involved with the Texas Craft Brewers Guild. Uh, yeah, and then shortly after that was elected. And I... Uh, chaired the legislative committee for uh, a couple of years as well. Um, and then on top of that, I actually ended up suing the state of Texas uh, in connection with that uh, anti-craft beer law. Mm-hmm. And last October, we won that case in the trial court. Uh, so we now have that right back, although the state has appealed they're appealing um, it? that decision. Yeah, and we're going through the appellate process right now. But even though they're appealing it, I mean, the state is currently enjoined from enforcing that law. So if sure. a willing brewer and a willing uh, distributor want to get together and negotiate for the sale of territorial distribution rights, they can absolutely do that, which is how, how it should be. I mean, I've, I've just never really understood why the state would say, well, if two willing parties want yeah. to enter into this contract, why will we not allow it? And there's just no rational basis to not allow it, and fortunately, the judge felt the way I do. When when I was uh, visiting Dallas, I uh, I spoke with uh, Oak Highlands as well, and up up until that interview, I really had no idea that that. I mean, I, I had I had read up on the law like a quick summary just to try to get an idea of what about what's been going on the last few years, but I had no idea it was that um, I don't know, offensive to to breweries. I don't know how else to put it. It's it's just such a bad law. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got some pretty serious restrictions here in Texas, um, and, and that 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 was you know that was a real kick into the gut or punch to the gut. You know, it, it this was a time where I thought you should be expanding brewers' rights and to contract those rights. I thought was uh, you know just asinine because Texas is so far behind so many other states, um, and, and it, you know need to give. There's a need to give their brewers, you know greater rights, expand sure. those rights, right? Bring in tourism dollars, bring in tax dollars, hire employees, 
a lot of good benefit to um, brewers, you know, uh, being successful in the manufacturing industry. It brings in so much revenue for the state. And at a time where you would think the state would think, hmm, hmm. we should really be doing whatever we can to the state needs more uh, money. <laughs> help these guys generate revenue, right, for the state. You know, they were literally taking rights from us. Um, now, yeah. I should say, they, they did grant us some rights in 2013 as well. Um, you know, but the, the thing that made it unfortunate was they wouldn't have passed those rights unless uh, the uh, anti-craft beer law also went into effect. Sure. Um, now, er, earlier you mentioned your, your fascination and, and hobby that is soccer, and although you couldn't quite find a job in it, you didn't really prevent that uh, from stopping you um, from incorporating it into your brewery anyway. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even my logo, uh, I don't know if you you know, looked much at my logo mm-hmm. or looked at the story of the logo, but I mean, I can just kind of talk about my logo and you'll learn a lot about who we are and what we are. Um, what yeah, you, you, are, you but, modeled it you know, after the, uh, you know, a football club, essentially. I mean, you, you had that same idea. Yeah, I, I wanted it. I wanted it to look like the crest on a footballer's chest, right? I wanted it to look like some nice, cool European, um, it had that feel, kind of that European soccer feel to it. Something that, you know, looked like a bat, like a, like a true crest on a footballer's chest. And I, so I had a lot of, I drew from some of the inspiration there. You know, some European football teams use the uh, their initials, I guess I should say, or, you know, the first letter of whatever the name of that club is, and design it in some manner um, that's incorporated into their logo. So if you look at ours, I mean, there's a clear PBC in the middle of it, Pedicle is a brewing company, right? But I had a number of goals. So, I, A, I wanted to use um, PBC in some kind of uh, manner that looks like a mark, um, that again, could be on a football or chess, but not only that, but that did not exist in the industry. So I wanted to create a mark that didn't exist in the industry that could eventually identify the brand mm-hmm. all on its own. You know, if you see Nike swoosh, you, you know, it's, yeah, Nike. it's Nike. You don't need to see Nike next year. If you see Under Armour's UA, you know that's Under Armour. So I wanted to create a mark like that PVC, right, that you could see that stamp, almost like a brand. Like, by brand, I mean a branding like on a cow, right? Sure. I'm from Texas. That's what we used to do way back in the day. Um, so that would identify the, the brand on its own, but was also very identifiable from a distance, right? And I wanted it to be very basic. Some of the best brands that I think of out there, you know, it wasn't just the brewing industry that I looked to. I looked to other successful businesses, and I thought, man, who has good branding? And I thought of Target. You know, it's just simple. It's just like two red. It's just it's a red Target, you know, two red circles, basically. Mm-hmm. I thought of Starbucks, just very basic, green and white. And that's why ours is basic. Uh, you know, Coca-Cola, red and white. So we've got two colors, that blue and um, white. And then if you kind of look at, like, Chelsea, uh, an English Premier football team, you can kind of tell that I drew a little inspiration from what they do. But then in addition to that, we're really where you get into the story with our logo is you look at the – there's a Pentagon in that logo, and it's got a 2010 in it. Oh. So uh, that Pentagon, as I kind of mentioned to you earlier – uh, I consider there to be five owners of this brewery, me, my wife, my daughter, Catherine, and my twins. So I consider there to be five owners, so I wanted to use the five-sided shape, the Pentagon, to represent the five owners of our brewery um, without being really overt and doing it. But then if you think of a traditional soccer ball as well, right, there's a black Pentagon in the middle right. of the ball. Um, and so I drew from that and wanted to use that. 
And then 2010 was the year I wrote the business plan. So the 2010 inside that Pentagon represents a couple things. The year I actually kind of slowed down my law practice and wrote business plan for the brewery. But then also represents my family. The two represents me and my wife. The one represents my firstborn daughter, Catherine, and each zero represents each one of my twins. Hmm. Right? So I try to put a lot about my family in that logo because it is a family business. As I mentioned, you know, it's just us. There is no other uh, investor bank that has, you know, any interest in our brewery. And then uh, our corporate values are the same as the values of my family, right? It's honest, Hmm. friendly, and down to earth. Those values are huge and so um if you look i also use the shape of the state the shape of the state of texas in my logo sure because i wanted to represent that we were from texas but i didn't want to be overt but also the motto of texas is friendliness and so that's one of our values so i wanted that in there and then again the logo is kind of distressed right it's uh not just this big beautiful blue flat color it's a distressed blue because I wanted to represent that down-to-earth character that we have. So again, you know, I, I put that value in there. Um, again, none of it being, you know, just in your face, but having quite a bit of thought to the entire you, you packed, deal of that logo. You, you pack so much symbolism in that small logo. <laughs> Absolutely. It's huge. I mean, I think branding is massive. And, you know, again, I think it, there, there's a ton in there. But it's if you look at but the it's logo, still, it's, it's also still, it's very, still, very simple. Yeah, it's There's minimalistic. Not a lot still. to it. I, I, I was driving down the street one day, and there was a big, huge beer truck next to me. And it was Dogfish Head, mm-hmm. and all it had was Dogfish Head on top, and then that fish shark logo thing right underneath it, like in green. Super basic, and I thought to myself, "Man, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do." And that's why you see my logo to be so basic. And, you know, you can recognize it from afar because there's not a ton of detail in it. I mean, there's medical brewing company, there's the shape of Texas, there's a 2010 Pentagon, and there's a PVC, and that's, that's kind of it, you know, two colors. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because of my love of soccer, I, I certainly incorporated that into, you know, that logo, and we've done some soccer-specific beers and things like that. Right. So, so speaking of which, what, what kind of styles of beer do you usually focus on at your brewery? I think what we probably have become most well-known for is the high-alcohol beers. The first beer I ever brewed uh, was a 9% Imperial Red Ale. Uh, That one's called Velvet Hammer. The joke is that it's smooth as velvet and hits you like a hammer. Um, You know, it kind of came into the market, and people didn't have any idea it was 9% in alcohol, and I'm getting all these messages at 2 a.m. talking, oh, my God, this Velvet Hammer's awesome. (laughs) Just all sorts of crazy stories and crazy happenings. Um, because it was a strong beer, but it does not have that kind of heat or, or hotness to it or that solventy character that you get from a lot of high-alcohol beers. And then the very first year I was in business, I did a dark, strong spiced ale uh, for the holiday season, and that's Wintervention, and that was a 10% beer. Also kind of a big, huge beer, but also drinks like a beer that's, you know, a 6-7% beer. You don't really have any idea. So then I followed that up not long after with um, our double IPA, which is called Sit Down or I'll Sit You Down, and that's a 10% beer. There's kind of a story behind that name as well. Uh, but, you know, once I came out with that one, I think it kind of cemented our status as a brewery who makes these really high-alcohol beers that don't have that high-alcohol character, you know, almost a sessionable 9 to 10% beer. You know, we've got our barley wines, 12%. Um, so, you know, 
those are probably those big beers are probably what we're most well known for. Although our second biggest selling beer is Golden Opportunity, which is a Kolsch, and it's you know five percent, four and a half percent beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one doesn't get near the credit that some of these other big, huge beers, and maybe that's just a function of the craft beer consumer and what gets them excited. But the fact of the matter is our life beer, um, is our second biggest seller. And, and now if you want any of them, you can just walk right into your tap room recently opened. When, when did that happen? Yeah, that, well, I mean, this was three, today marks week three, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is our third Thursday that we've been open. You know, we've been open for five years. And, uh, we've never had a tap room. Believe it or not, we would have, we were open for tours, um, two hours on the first and third Saturday of every month. Hmm. Uh, so literally open for four hours every single month. And that was it. And as a result of that, you know, we had hundreds of people lined up at the door wanting to come into the brewery and tour it and, um, so finally at the end of last year, uh, as we were coming up upon our five-year anniversary, which is December 30th, uh, we, six weeks before that started to, you know, redo the entire facility or at least where the tap room is and build a really, um, tasteful, well-done tap room that incorporates very much of who we are and what we're about. You know, when I talk about my logo, if you the tap room you you would see some things that were there have been in the brewery since you know kind of day one and not realize oh hey you know you didn't realize that that was still that same piece of material that was over here in this space at this time but yeah this is it's been uh the first two weeks have been just a huge success and it's something that certainly i'm excited about you know we uh, we self-distribute our beer so i tell people that we've been operating a brewery and a distribution business for two years and now to be entering the retail arena, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's something new. Um, and people are in Dallas are very excited about it and have been coming out in droves. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. We've got 16 beers on tap, you know, people really don't, unless there's a big tap takeover, haven't really had that opportunity to try all those beers. Um, so, you know, uh, our, you know, core consumers are our biggest supporters or, you know, love it because they have the opportunity to come and try, you know, just about everything that we do. You, uh, you, you, you might be biased in this answer because you've, you've done it one way, but let's say I were to open up a brewery, um, and, and I have the, the financial capability of opening up a big production facility if I, if I wanted to, but I'm trying to decide, do I want to go with a big, uh, you know, make the beer and then, you know, um, have a production facility only, or do, do I want to start off with a brew pub and then eventually, once I gather a small follow, following in my tap room, uh, make a production line? Which route would you suggest? So do I go big, big to small, or start off big and, and supplement with small, or the other way around? Um, yeah, interesting question. <laughs> Uh, what I would say right now is I wouldn't open a brewery right now. I mean, so many breweries have opened up that, you know, as I mentioned, right, there was not a brewery in Dallas in 2010 when I planned it. You know, fast forward today, we've got 45 breweries. The market now is so much different than what it was just five years ago when I opened. So, you know, I guess if you're in a market that isn't saturated, hey, awesome full steam ahead Mm -hmm. but there is no way in our market i would open up a brewery today right now it's too hard to distinguish yourself i mean we were really really hard to distinguish ourselves and didn't have much problem doing that when you know it was just us and a few other guys and you know we still do things much differently than most so we can still differentiate ourselves but 
I guess the point being that regardless of whether you're going to go big or you're going to go small, you better have some factors that make you different. Sure. Why are people going to know you? What is that story going to be? Are they going to be connected to you? I would much, I would say you've got to start small and grow it up. I think that there was a time for you to, uh, you know, start big and, and, you know, kind of blow it out of the park. And there's some guys here locally that have done that, you know, revolvers are some of my best friends in the entire industry. These guys, started not long after I did and um, went the large route. Let's get our beer anywhere and everywhere as quickly as we possibly can. And they grew and, you know, had a very, uh, a beer that was um, extremely popular, still extremely popular. And I mean, they blew it out of the water and, you know, sold the Miller Coors. So mm-hmm. it can absolutely happen. It happened in Houston with Carbock Brewing. You know, they, the story is very much the same as Revolver, but even bigger mm-hmm. in terms of what they did um, and then sold to AB. So, you can do that, but I think your opportunity to have done that also um, may be passing you by. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of need to be in operations. I think a lot of guys have said, hey, I'm going to open up, and that's what my plan is. I'm going to blow this thing up, and I'm going to sell. The problem is, you know, it, it, for instance, if you're in Texas, I don't know if Miller or Coors are going to want to come by you because they're going to be now competing against themselves. You sure. know, they, one of them bought Revolver, one of them bought Miller. Um, and I think your opportunity to really blow it out of the water like that is not what it is now compared to what it was then when there wasn't quite as much choice. Now, again, this partially, this goes, what's the market like? Where are you? Where are you doing this? You know, so there are areas where you can probably do that. But I'm thinking in Texas, that would be very, very difficult for you to do now. Unless maybe you're like in El Paso, right, where they don't have a huge brewery yet or in or uh, a big beer culture, so there's a lot of room to grow. But if you're talking San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Austin, I mean, there's so much competition, it's going to be difficult for you just to come out and offer something that people haven't already seen. Um, so I guess my overall answer to your question, you know, I am a classic attorney, what a normal sure. person says in five minutes, an attorney says in <laughs> ten, right? So to answer your actual question, I, and again, this is what I did, I go small. You know, make sure you can fund yourself, right? Get the following. Um, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew because guess what's going to happen here in this next year, this next two years? A lot of these brewers that are opening up, they're not going to be operating. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a, a lot of brewers think that, oh, my gosh, this exponential growth is just going to continue forever. And, you know, they, for some reason, think that our industry is, you know, singular and not like any other industry where what I tell people is, look, this is, this industry is just like any other industry. There's going to be times where it's hot. There's going to be times where it's cold. It's going to be times where it's growing. It's going to be times where it's contracting. And, you know, craft beer is absolutely continuing to grow, but it's not growing at the rate of the number of breweries that are opening up. So, you know, now we're kind of taking from each other. Um, which is fine because the cream's going to rise to the top and there's going to be some of these guys who are putting out inferior product or don't have any story, you know, behind them. I mean, I can tell you of someone at my brewery that said, oh, I went to tour this brewery here and I asked them what their story was or why they get started. And the guy's response was, well, we thought everybody else was doing it and we <laughs> thought this was a great way to make money. Oh. And I was dumbfounded. I'm like, wow, that's the story. That's the story that they're giving to the consumer, the person who's in their tap room, the person who came to their brewery to visit. That's their story? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe that I'm in the beer industry. I believe I'm in the entertainment industry. I believe hmm. people drink because they want to be entertained. They want to 
I mean, that's why people read those bottles, right? Whether it's wine, whether it's beer, you know, you want to be entertained. You want to have a good time. It goes back to your first kind of question about, you know, having that home brew that my mom brewed on the porch, right? We were having a great time. It's not about just a beer. It's about the entertainment and the connection. And that's why there's so much about our story, about who we are in our logo. Because when someone asks me about the logo, I can, just going through the process of the logo, they're learning about who we are and what we do. Um, you know, even Petacolis, naming it after my last name. And mm-hmm. Until you hear Petacolis, you know, until you've heard it pronounced a couple times, you're not even really sure how to say it. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was delivered on our part or my part because, you know, if someone's at a bar and is struggling over how to say our name, well, or the guy next to you is going to say, oh, it's Petacolis. And then that guy feels like he's got the hot tip, right? He feels like he's in on it. Right. He's got the secret. He knows how to talk about this. And already you're identifying with the product. You're connecting with the product. So that's, you know, the story is just massive. So, you know, going back to your question, big or small, I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter, but yeah. you better have a darn good story. Have, have, a, have a, a plan. plan. Yeah. What, uh, what challenges is uh, your brewery currently facing? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, opening up the tap room, right? yeah. <laughs> getting that thing open in time for our five-year anniversary was uh, a massive challenge. And now, you know, operating a retail space. You know, we like I said, we've operated the distribution company and the brewery for five years now, but uh, we're not professionals in the retail industry. You know, when I say that we're different than most, here's it's, this is another good example of it, you know. I never worked in a brewery until I opened my brewery. And guess what? The first 10 guys I hired, none of them had ever worked at a brewery before. But we were always experiencing success. Um, And so I didn't want to bring in someone else from another brewery because I didn't want to hear, you know, um, hey, you're doing things wrong. You need to do them this way. For us, it's about figuring it out and continuing to, you know, I want to rewind the clock to 1960 when someone worked for a company for 20 years, right? So when I hire someone, I mean, the first guy I hired, he has a ton more responsibilities. It's about giving those guys room to grow, right? So one of the guys now who's taking over the retail space was someone who is in distribution. And now he's managing our retail space, and he's he's blowing it out of the water. He's doing just a fantastic job. And for me, it's more rewarding to give the opportunity to someone who's already a part of our organization than just to bring out some, to bring in some outsider, right? So, you know, again, our growth from within and our kind of deliberately slow growth makes us a little bit different, but it does present challenges, right? Because I didn't just hire up some guy who's been in the retail industry for 20 years who could come in and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. No, I hired the guy who I wanted to give an opportunity um, so, so it does present some challenges, but guess what? We're going to figure it out. We figured everything else out. You know, this definitely isn't the biggest obstacle we've ever had, you know? Um, but I would say another obstacle is this uh, <clears throat> illegal practice of pay-to-play. You right. know, there are brewers out there. There are distributors out there that go to retail accounts, and some retailers may not know it's illegal, although I would say most actually do. But, hey, here's 200 bucks. Why don't, why don't you put my handle on here? Huh. Right? I mean, I've seen some... Uh, some instances where I'm relatively sure. And I've heard over the years, oh, yeah, hey, we got paid to put this gear on. I mean, yeah, that's illegal. I'm sure it happens. I, I'm pretty much fed up with it at this point. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it puts me at a big disadvantage because there's no way in hell that 
I would operate in that manner. You know, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put my permit, my license that the state granted me in jeopardy, right? But not everyone's like me. Hey, we're not going to get caught or we'll just pay the fine or whatever. But, you know, it's a big, it's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because now it's not only a matter of having a better product, but it's having to overcome illegal behavior in the marketplace. And that's super frustrating for me. So that's, you know, that's an obstacle. But, you know, it's the nature of the beast. And if uh, you're not aware that that's happening or, you know, you're just not, um, your, your eyes aren't open. Uh, and, but you have to overcome it. You know, when you say obstacles, it's it's not about the obstacle. It's about how you handle uh, overcoming that obstacle, right? It's not mm-hmm. about the mistake. It's about how you overcome your mistake. Things will happen. And it's about, you know, figuring out a way to maneuver um, your positioning or your brand in a matter that, you know, sticks within our values, which is, again, honest, friendly, down to earth. That's kind of the values that drive us um, and, you know, helps us figure out how we tackle some of these issues. But, that's probably, I would say, the biggest one for me right now. It's just I'm, I'm pretty sore about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sore topic for me today. That that's understandable. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty late on a on a what night is it? I guess Thursday night. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Um, so I won't keep you for too much longer. But just uh, just question for you to think about for a second. If you could switch places with with any other you know brewery owner or you know brewery for a day, um, where where would you go? Ah, uh, gosh, probably New Glarus mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, I would probably switch places with those guys for a day. I, I've, I've always admired how, you know, their Wisconsin only um, put out, you know, high-quality beers. And, you know, that Belgian cherry red, I still don't really know how they do that. <laughs> how they, It just seems to be in a class all, uh, all by itself, you know, nothing else. Everything else kind of pales in comparison. So to go through that process, see how they're doing that. But, you know, the, I admire the way that they've grown it and kept things very close to the vest. Um, it, it's somewhat what we've done, but on even a more grand scale. Ours is, I mean, I don't know how much you know about it. I don't deliver beer more than 39 miles from our brewery. Right. That's as far as we go. Uh, you know, so they're only in Wisconsin, right? And they've grown it all in Wisconsin, so... Um, they're doing what I do, but on a little bit of a grander scale. And so I think, you know, if I had to say, I'll just one person one day, you know, I guess sure. it would be them. Yeah. Have you been to, uh, have you been there before? No, I never have. You know, the funny thing is I'm not, uh, I'm not the guy who has to go to a ton of breweries or go to every single brewery sure. out there. You know, there are some brewers that want to visit every single brewery and go everywhere. And I kind of feel like, well, I work in a brewery and a brewery all the time. <laughs> Now, when I'm out of town, rest assured, I'm going to a brewery, but I typically don't choose my vacations because I want to go to a specific brewery. Yeah. I choose my vacations, and then I, may, I will probably ha- happen into a brewery wherever I go um, because I want to drink some good fresh craft beer and see what's going on. That's, um, that's, where, that's no, where I stand as well. It's, it's very yeah. rare. I, I don't take, a, you know, what are they called? I don't take beercations, but if I'm going to be right. somewhere new, I'm going to research a little bit about what's around me. Right. Nor am I a beer hunter. You know, I just give me a nice pale ale. I don't sure. you know. Some people are, oh, I've got to try this beer. I've got to try that beer. I'm going to try beer. I've been to bottle shares and I, I'll say, oh, man, this, this beer is really good. And someone will say, oh, you've never had that before? I'm like, oh, no, I haven't. And the buddy of mine next to me said, dude, we had that beer like six months ago. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know. I, I really, There's... there are so many beers out there. There is so much choice that I can't even 
keep it straight and just don't have the bandwidth to even worry about keeping it straight. All I want to do is just sit back and enjoy a nice beer. There's this mentality right now that I, that I'm, I don't know, I'm not fighting against, but I just, I, I don't want to be a part of this mentality that, you know, I, I go chase beers, chase that white whale, and then, you know, put plug it into my untapped app and then just forget about it. Um, just, just say, oh, well, yeah, I had that. Check it, check it off on my checkbox. But <laughs> right, yeah, that's definitely not me either. In fact, I don't, I don't check in beers at all. Mainly, yeah. because, again, the legal background. Like, I'm always fearful. I've checked in six beers and I get pulled over on the way home, and you know, oh, that's get a, a good DWI, point. And then what? I'm in court, and they're going to say, well, here you checked into this beer and that beer, and then this beer. I mean, how many beers did you check into, Mr. Pedicles, before you got on the road, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether you had two sips or whatever, you know, that's not a really good excuse that the jury's going to understand if you're like, oh, I just had a couple sips of that one and a couple <laughs> sips of that You know, they're not going to buy that. So I've always seen it as a liability just to check in. That is um, so interesting. Be out on the road. I'm going I'm to have to research that a little bit more to see – Ah, I like I like that idea. I'm I'm, I'm my mind somewhere else with that right now for another uh, research topic. Um, so what? So when can people visit you? When 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 are your hours open for the tap room? Yeah, so we're now open um, Tuesdays from four to ten, Friday and Saturday. Excuse me, Tuesday and Thursday. Strike that. Let me just start all over. Thursday and Friday <laughs> from four to ten, Saturday from eleven to ten, and Sunday from noon to six. So that's how we started. You know, we'll probably grow those hours, but, you know, much as we've done everything else, we kind of start with the baby steps and figure things out. Then once we perfect it and grow the market, then we'll, you know, look to expand those hours, you know, whether it's the rest of the week or earlier on Fridays, you know, we'll see. But that's when you can get in there as of right now. Right on. Thank you so much for uh, uh, taking some time to join me on the phone tonight. Um, Rest assured, next time I'm in Dallas, I will be visiting you. Excellent. I look forward to it. Hopefully we can link up next time you're here. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. You have a great night. Adios.